Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome in to Hoist the Colors on this Thursday edition of the show. It is January 18th. Philip Pilkington is producing back in the studio. I'm in the home studio today, but we are still linked up as always. Kaysen Romaley is also going to join us later in the program to recap. Man, one of the toughest losses inside Minji's Coliseum we've seen in recent memory. We've seen a lot of tough losses. And I wrote post-game, there are tough losses, and then there are just kind of crippling, shattering losses. And unfortunately for East Carolina, they experienced the latter in last night's game. Appeared to have the game won on R.J. Felton's banked shot with 3.1 seconds to go. The place was going crazy. North Texas throws a cross-court heave. Great pass, by the way. You can't deny the pass. uh, Lands in uh, their big guy's hands. He lays it in with the help of a push-off, which we'll get into. We have got plenty to discuss. I got a rant about North Texas fans in my mentions. I didn't even know they existed first off, so kudos to them. We'll get into that, All, all seven of them. Um I've got to rant about officials. I think Philip has to rant as well. And we'll talk basketball too. Let's be honest. This is not just an officiating issue. ECU, left points at the free throw line, should not have even come down to the final possession. Seven missed free throws in a low possession game, 61% from the line. Offensive rebounds allowed. Those are the two big reasons you lost the game along with the missed call at the end. So North Texas wins at 60-59. ECU falls to 9-9, 2-3 in the American. We'll get into the game, the fallout of the game, because I think this is a potential season-changing loss. It's up to the team to rebound from this. We'll get into that as well in today's show. And uh, just a lot of fallout from this basketball game because it was a crucial swing game, I believe. Phillip... We've got a lot to discuss over the next hour. We may talk NFL playoffs. We may talk college basketball as a whole. We'll look around the American. But we could do, I think, a whole hour on the final sequence of last night's game. Oh, we easily could. And uh, obviously, like you said, we'll both get into what we have to say earlier. But uh, from a, if you were a neutral, it was a quite the exciting game. Not that there are probably many neutrals watching North Texas play. ECU in basketball, but uh, unfortunately, we didn't come out on the good end of it. And uh, to your point, though, you can't only come down to those last 11 seconds of the game, obviously. Missed opportunities earlier in the game, led up to many offensive rebounds, uh, too many second chance points. And Coach Schwartz did talk about that in his post game, but it is frustrating to always seem like the officials are, you know, I know they're not out to get us, but sometimes it feels that way. Yeah, it's just. Uh... It, it wasn't as bad as the Tulsa screw job in football in 2020 when the American had to release a statement saying they blew the call, and that was one of basically three blown calls in that game that cost uh, Mike Houston at the time a win early in his tenure, a potential defining win, and uh, ended up really sticking with ECU in a negative light. And I remember 
quite frankly, they got crushed the next game against Tulane at home because there was so much hype about the missed call. And I think that could also play a role as ECU goes on the road to play UAB. So you got to be careful to guard against that, which we'll talk about later. But I don't know, Philip. Let's start with the final 11 seconds because that is the most magnified portion of the game. And kind of a weird game where like there was a lot of ties and lulls. We talked about it yesterday on, uh, you know, you were filling in for the Patrick Johnson show. No show yesterday for Hoist the Colors due to the women's game. But it was going to be a low possession, slower paced game. We saw that. There were some lulls. There were some huge shots. And then there was kind of a flurry of scores at the end. And it seemed like ECU was going to catch the break when RJ Felton banked it in. And instead, obviously, they throw the cross-court pass. So let's get into it. All right, I've seen people say that ECU defended it the wrong way, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that as well. We got a cut from Coach Schwartz after the game about why they defended it the way they did. There seemed to be a clear push-off from the guy who scored the game when shot. I believe his name is Robert Allen. Two arms extended. There's video. He actually pushed Brandon Johnson twice. He pushed him while the ball was in the air right after it was thrown. And then he pushed him again as the ball came, two full arms extended. So I don't know, Philip. Like, I've seen a lot of tweets. Hey, don't complain about the officials make free throws. But in my opinion, you can't miss that blatant of a push off. Like, if he gives him like a little forearm nudge, that's one thing. But if you go two full arms extended, to me, you got to call that. Yeah, it kind of takes you back to that NFC title game, you know, between the Saints and the Rams, where it's like, look, I get at the end of the game, sometimes you don't want to call the ticky-tack thing, but to your point, two arms and a shove and extension doesn't really fall under ticky-tack. And I've gone back and looked at the replay, and it looked like the official, the lead official, actually was where he needed to be. He was kind of between the two players where he could see between the players because a lot of times when officials miss calls, they're out of position, right? And you can understand it was one of those where he was already to the baseline, him maybe not seeing it, but he wasn't already on the baseline. He was about four to six feet off the baseline and it looked to me like he could see directly between Brandon Johnson and the player who received the pass and uh, that would be the perfect place to make the call and uh, obviously decided to swallow the whistle there. All right, so post-game, we talked to Mike Schwartz. By the way, his hand was bloodied and bandaged. Clearly, he had punched something in frustration after the game. Um, Philip, you were there for post-game. We'll start there. We'll get to the cuts in a second. When did you notice his hand was was bandaged? Because that was a – I noticed it like a minute or I think two or three minutes into the press conference. I'm like, wait, is he holding a paper towel? Oh, there's blood. Like – and then, obviously, you know, it's kind of obvious what had happened. What did you What did you make of that situation? Uh, actually, when I was when he first sat down, because I was at more of a sharp angle than you were, and I was looking right at him, trying to get my phone for the video. I was like, "Oh crap, his hands bleeding!" So I noticed it right away. And you know, uh, it's well, I'm gonna say it. I, talking to Cy Seymour later after the game, uh, you know, we talked about it, and was like, "Man, you know." When you see that out of a coach, it proves how much he cares. I mean, the fact that he's going to show up to a press conference bloodied up from hitting something like, you know, I I take that as a coach with passion 
and with care for the way his team lost the game, obviously followed two officials off the court. So um, I hate that he hurt his hand, but I love to see the passion and the care. I mean, he could have brushed it off and like, well, we'll worry about the next one. But no, he was he was ticked off, and like I said, I kind of noticed it right away. Keith Garrett on Facebook says, we shot 18 foul shots. North Texas shot nine. It's not the refs. Uh, ECU has actually whistled four more fouls on his home court, which seems to be a pretty standard thing these days, uh, even though ECU did get more foul shots. That's typically their game. I mean, they're not a great three-point shooting team. North Texas is more of a three-point shooting team, so that's not really a surprise. And we're not saying it's the refs cost ECU the game. We're saying the, the call at the end of the game, Keith, was blown. And that is a crucial call that, quite honestly, has to be made. And it wasn't. So it is what it is. And, uh, yes, ECU still should have won the game. We're just pointing out the obvious that was missed. All right, Philip, let's get to that cut. I asked Mike Schwartz if there was a push-off from his vantage point after the game. Here's how it sounded. Coach, things happen obviously a million miles an hour in that final sequence. What did you see? And why there may have been a push-off, so did you see that as well? What did you make of the sequence other than that, I guess? I saw Hail Mary, yeah. I saw a catch and a layup, and the film will be able to determine what I think I saw doesn't matter, put it that way. All right, you had the long pause. Basically, he just did, he didn't respond, Philip. And, uh, he, you know, for, for those who did not see the video, he was just kind of staring at me with a smile. Like, obviously, there was a push-off, but... When you're in this spot, you can't really come out and say a whole lot. Uh, I guess, I don't even know. Do they still find coaches for, like, criticizing obvious missed calls? I don't know. Either way, he, he doesn't seem to want to go that route. But, look, I, I talked to sources after the game that confirmed 100% from the league official alliance. And what, what I think the American is, like, in this alliance with the SEC and uh, another conference, and they all share the same officials. And, basically, the head of officials said, look, we missed the call. Should have been called 100% of foul. So that doesn't make anybody feel better. I tweeted that after the game, but uh, clearly I think Mike Schwartz was going to be – maybe he punched something else after he saw the video. So he, his hand might, might, have, might have gotten even more bloody, Philip. Yeah, it could have. Um, but, no, to your point there, um, kind of with him not commenting, I don't know if they still find guys, but I think that was just one of those things where – he knew that if he started, he wasn't going to be able to stop, and he was going to say something that he was going to regret. So he did the very mature thing by just um, giving you the smirk. I mean, obviously, you know, as fans, and, and I'm going to put us in the fan category for this thing, we all want him to see him be like, yeah, that was the worst piece of crap missed call ever. Like, we'd love to see it, but, like, you know, when you're a professional in a professional setting, I think – he just realized, hey, I, I can't address that without using profanity and and doing something that's gonna be fined or just make the officials hate me from now on. Yeah, and uh, it's tough. It's a tough spot to be in, and you hate it for the team. Um, again, make your free throws, and we're not having this discussion. It, it, yeah, I have so many thoughts. I'm like struggling to to get it all out, Philip. But all right, all right, let's go into the second cut. Because there's a lot about, hey, ECU, they should have defended this differently. They should have had everybody back. Brandon Johnson should have been between the guy who called it and the goal. You know, if you do that, then you're allowing the guy to catch the ball at the free throw line and get a shot off too. So 
I don't know, like, if you get shoved in the back, you can't jump and make a play on the ball. I saw a lot of, why didn't he jump? Well, he was getting shoved in the back with two arms. Like, that's a lot of force to prevent you from jumping. Anyways, um, nobody guarded the inbounds passer, which some teams elect to do in that situation. They actually had Ezra Sar kind of guarding the half-court line. If you watch the replay, to prevent a guy from catching the ball and getting a clean dribble, clean uh, up-court look. And uh, Mike Schwartz was asked about, hey, what's the thinking in that situation with 3.1 seconds left? He went into detail about why you don't just have everybody back and let them you know, get a free run up the court. Here's how it's, it's the same. It's a Hail Mary. I mean, it's Hail Mary. We had our guys back. I mean, uh, you know, it's a Hail Mary. You know, it, it wasn't like there was one second or 0.5 seconds where you can just put five guys back. Okay, like you give that ball to Jason Edwards in the backcourt, three seconds he's going to get a great shot. I mean, with 1.3, Ezra hit the backboard. So a shot with three seconds left, that kind, there's a number of ways it can go. And, I mean, th- th- there was no screening and running around by North Texas. That was a look back. They, I saw their players. We have no timeouts. And they did a great job staying composed. The kid took the ball out. And they just heaved the ball, and the ball was up there. I mean, that would have been called a duck in, in, in football. I mean, that thing was up in the air. And Hail Mary catch, and he makes it, and, and he's able to put it in. And you give them credit, credit for the pass, credit for the poise, credit for the catch, credit for the layup. All right, there's Coach Schwartz and Philip. What, what did you make of how ECU defended it? I mean, I'm sure – it, neither team had a timeout, so it was kind of like organized or disorganized chaos, really. And North Texas, and I know you want to make a point here, kind of had the liberty to not pick the ball up and have extra time to kind of organize what they were trying to do and look to the bench for signals. So what did you make of that whole sequence, how ECU defended it, and just how, how that thing unfolded? Well, first off, I thought there should have been a timeout. Um, usually in that situation, they review the previous basket and see exactly when the ball came out of the bottom of the net so they can get the timing right to the tenth of a second. And that would have given, obviously, both teams an opportunity. But I can guarantee you if this was an ACC game, a Big 12 game, an NCAA tournament game, you're reviewing that to um, – Kaysen just walked in, by the way. Hey, Kaysen. Um, to um, make sure the timing is exactly right. So that would have given ECU another opportunity. And then the second thing was, you know, the official's not supposed to start his five-second count immediately after the ball goes to the basket. I don't know exactly how the rule book reads, but it's one of those, once the player has the opportunity to then pick up the ball, they're supposed to start their count. Well, the kid who inbounded the ball is letting it sit there at his feet, and you see the official telling him, like, you need to pick up the ball, you need to pick up the ball. And this happened for a good two or three seconds, and then the kid picks up the ball, and the referee started his count. I've gone back and looked at the video. He only got his count to three seconds. There is no way in heck there was only three seconds there. Yeah, there might have been three seconds after he picked up the ball, but that's not how the rule book reads. If you even come out of a timeout, a dead ball, the official has the authority to sit the ball on the ground and start counting if he thinks that the team should be over there at that time. And clearly, the count should have started earlier. They should have not had that much time. I'm not saying a five-second call would have happened, but maybe as precise of a pass doesn't happen because that was a dime. I mean, that was like, you know, Coach said nothing but a Hail Mary. Yeah, but that was Roger Stahlbach to Drew Pearson against the Vikings Hail Mary, the original Hail Mary dime. And, yeah, I thought there should have been less time to do it and then obviously probably more time for us to set up because, like, I was really surprised there was not some sort of review there on that play. 
You do have to credit the passer because that was an amazing pass. Yes, there was a push off, but the dude threw an absolute dime. 94 feet is the length of the court. So he probably threw it, what, 86 feet right on the money? I mean, he, he put it right there. So, again, credit to North Texas, and they made the play with some help. It is what it is. All right, Kaysen is in studio. Let's get a break in. We'll get him set up. I know he's got thoughts on this game. I still have more thoughts. I got to talk about North Texas fans. We got to get into the fallout of what this game means as ECU goes on a two-game road trip. We got to quote uh, or a cut from Coach Schwartz about the team's psyche going forward and the importance of keeping them together after a loss like this. So we'll talk about that all on, on the other side and throughout the next hour. This is Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Hey, what's happening, man? What's happening? Tell me. Every ECU fan's one stop for all things ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the show. Hoist the Colors. Thursday, January 18th. Philip Pilkington is producing back in the studio. And we have the arrival of Kaysen Ramele, fresh out of class. He has been waiting all night, all morning to talk about this basketball game. Kaysen, have you uh, have you had time to recover mentally from the Pirates? Yes, I've had Tough time. Tough loss in North Texas. Yeah, I've had enough time to recover. Last night, I went home, just sat, watched some TV, didn't really think about it, just frustrated. I read the board last night when I woke up. I woke up around like 2, 3 o'clock and just read the board for a little bit. And one thing that irritated me a little bit was people getting mad about the defense on the last play. And understandably, yes, you should not let that happen. But also, like, it's not like they played it horrible. Brandon Johnson's man was down there, and he was right with him. The only problem was he got 10, 10 fingers to the back and got pushed. And also, people mad at Ezra, what is he doing? But, I mean, you have to grow the trailer. Everyone knows how Villanova won a national championship. And there was similar time left on the clock as there was last night. So, I mean, people are mad about it. I understand. But, I mean, they didn't play it horribly. And with no timeouts or scrambling, I mean, crazy things happen. And, I mean, and I mean, if we're being honest, we should have lost to Kennesaw State. And guess what? We threw up a prayer and, almost, and it went in. And guess what? Texas, North Texas threw a prayer and it went in. It's always amazing, Kaysen. I mean, look, I love sports. I get it. I'm a fan as well, but, like, the margin is so thin. If that is called a foul last night or if the shot just doesn't go in, everybody is talking about, man, I love Coach Schwartz. I love the direction of this program. Great win. You know, maybe the free throws are mentioned, like, it shouldn't have been that close, but, hey, we got the dub. It doesn't matter. Instead, the shot goes in. And people are losing their minds, you know, just extremely negative because ECU lost a heartbreaker, so they're frustrated. Like, it's what's good and maddening about sports, but I don't know, man. It's just, you know, the the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat, and when you're on the wrong side of it, man, it hurts. And I think, too, this was such a big momentum swing potentially in ECU season, which we'll talk about uh, a little bit later, but it it just always – I don't want to say it makes me laugh, but you do have to kind of take a deep breath sometimes and be like, all right, like at the end of the day, they threw up a prayer, it went in, that's why ECU ended up losing the game, and we could easily be having a much different conversation right now. Yeah, I agree 100%, and also something that's not being talked about, and 
won't be talked about because of the outcome was just the scoring. Brandon Johnson with 11, RJ with 16, Hayes with 12, Ezra with 8, and then Walker with eight, Ezra with 9, Walker with 8. I mean, that's pretty balanced scoring. Yes, you didn't have one blow-up player like we normally do, but also there's a glaring problem, and that's Bobby Pettiford with the donut. Zero points. He had six assists. Yes, rebounded all right. But when your starting point guard can't score, it's not going to fare well. And then the discussion last night, Jaden Walker needs to come back and play point. He played it that last five or six minutes. Just he was three for three from the field. He had a big he had a big three down the stretch. And I mean, look, there are so many questions about that and roster construction on people want Jaden Walker to play point guard, but where does that put Bobby Pettiford? If you don't play him, that's wasting scholarship. But look, we're already wasting scholarships apparently to everybody. So I mean, <laughs> it's just the whole thing, and I mean, it's just getting frustrating. And I mean, this program is not in the best spot right now. They are nine. They're ninety-nine and have two road games back to back, which is not great at UAB at Wichita State. So I mean, this past this last night was a big one to go three and two. But now you're looking at two tough road games. Let's talk about the point guard situation because, look, love Caleb account, but this is the reason, in my opinion, in the American Conference, he's got to play limited minutes. He entered last night, and usually he's not one to turn the ball over a lot, but he had two turnovers on entry passes. And then, not that Jason Edwards wasn't being isoed on every single ECU player that tried to guard him, but when you have a you know a guy who's 5'5 five, five trying to guard their best scorer, they were just isolating him all the way, and it was tough to handle. So, Jaden Walker at the point is where ECU did play its best ball down the stretch last year. Is it? Is he the sexiest point guard? No. You know, he's not dynamic, so to speak. He's more, I would say, slower paced but in control, but also can make some plays off the dribble. I uh, can finish. Not a great free throw shooter, so that's not something you really want in your point guard either especially closing out games. So that's a critical component. He's not a great shooter. But the thing is, Case, and for me, if you want to be this defensive you know, team, well, all of a sudden you have this 6'5 point guard, and to me that makes your lineup so much more dynamic defensively. Nothing against Bobby Pettiford, who definitely has a role either way, and I think could be a very good player. We've seen that. But when you have a 6'5 point guard – and then RJ and maybe Cam's on the court. All of a sudden, you're a little bit bigger at the at the guard position. If you've got Bobby, RJ, and Cam out there, that's a pretty small group of guards on the perimeter, and it's tough to kind of execute what you want defensively. So I think they really got to look at what they're trying to do with that point guard spot. Maybe it's matchup dependent, but if, if Jaden Walker's healthy, which Coach Schwartz said after the game, a lot of this is driven by his hamstring, which has been nagging him. To me, they got to look back at – where are we the best all-around team? Is it with Walker? Is it with Pettiford? Is it split 50-50? I don't know. There is a lot to think about there, I think, if you're Coach Schwartz and the staff. Yeah, I think that a major point that they need to figure out first, well, I mean, not first, but it needs to be priority number one is to find this program's identity. What is the culture? What are you going to live and die on? And he says defense, but, I mean, we've seen this season that it's not ideal of what's going on. And, I mean, with the Jaden Walker stuff, I mean, look, I'm a Bobby Pettiford fan. I'm a Jaden Walker fan. And the numbers all say that Jaden Walker is better than Bobby Pettiford. But, look, 
when you're watching it with the eyes, it's not substantially better. I mean, I think we're plucking hairs here. I mean, you cannot tell me that Jaden Walker's plays leaps and bounds better than Bobby Pettiford. And I also think the staff has a belief in Bobby Pettiford because when he's your point guard, your quarterback, you pour everything into that person. And I think they have with Bobby. And which is understandably from a human aspect, you're not going to want to move from him. But honestly, they did last night at one point. And did it succeed necessarily? You don't know. I mean, yes, he played well, but I mean, we lost the game. So, I mean, it's just there are so many questions. You go back and forth, this, back and forth in this. But me, me personally, I would let Bobby run it, but I would cut his minutes in half and just have Bobby play, start, and then have Jaden come in. And that's Bobby's sub. That's Jaden's sub, just back and forth, then playing point guard. Don't have them on the floor at the same time. But, I mean, we're going to find out, aren't we? I think, too, a lot of it can be matchup dependent. Like last night, nobody could hold Edwards off the screen or on the perimeter. I mean, they just were running them off screen after screen. You know, Walker probably did the best job. He got beat a few times, but they were screening him so much. I mean, it was inevitable. He needs some help defense as well, but he definitely did the best best job. If you don't necessarily have a dynamic point guard on the other end and Bobby's having a good offensive game, maybe it makes more sense to leave him in. I think – it's just got to be matchup dependent. I, I don't know, but it, you know it is interesting. And Philip, I'll get your take on this as well before we hit another break. Like last year, everybody was, you know, pretty ecstatic about how the team played down the stretch, and a lot of that was with Jaden Walker at the point when Javon Small was out. You know, do you feel like it's time to see more Jaden Walker at the point? Are, are we making too much about this just due to the fact that team is is struggling overall? Well, I think when a team's struggling, you can't make too much about wanting to see changes because what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Um, I think it is time to see more of Jaden Walker, but also I think part of the reason we haven't seen him is, you know, Coach talks about it in his post-game radio interview, talked about it with us in a post-game press conference, like Jaden's had that hamstring injury, and he's been battling that, and when it's a soft tissue injury, you can't just force a guy out there. And now that he is getting better, that he is the most healthy he's been, yes, to Kaysen's point, I would like to see some changes. And uh, I don't think we're making too much of it. But also, you don't want to make too drastic of a change too quickly because then it can come back to bite you in the rear end the other way. So I think the fact that we're seeing it slowly but surely happen, yes, I would still like to see this continue to change. But... um, you know, it's not like things are so bad where you just need to revamp everything. Obviously, some things have gone good. I mean, you know, we, you and I were talking about before the show, Stephen, like, you know, you're in the South Carolina game. You're in the FAU game. You're in the Florida game until late. And then, obviously, you know, you were in the SMU game there for about a half. And, and you know, last night you're in it till the, the final buzzer. So you don't want to make anything too drastic to, to go the other way. So it's all about balance. And that's what's the hard thing about being a coach is, is finding that balance. But I would like to see more of Jaden Walker. And this this backcourt, you know, we talked about it yesterday when you were on Patrick's show, is, is very deep. So there's a lot of different things that you can do. The unfortunate thing is you got to do the right thing for the offensive side of the ball as well as the defensive side of the ball. And sometimes you make a decision that helps one and it can hurt the other. So it's a tough thing. Uh, Case, and we talked about it a little earlier, the – the bloodied and bandaged Mike Schwartz after the game. You were in the postgame press conference as well, and I, I, I've never seen that before. Obviously, I'm sure a coach is 
hit something. And to me, look, Schwartz is extremely passionate. To me, like I saw some people say, like that shows he's not cut out to be head coach. I, I go the opposite way, man. I'm like, I want my head coach to care. And everybody wants to make the excuse for why ECU basketball can't win, has never won, et cetera, et cetera. Every time I talk to Coach Schwartz, it's the complete opposite. It's like, here's why we're going to win. Here's how we're going to do it. Yes, he's made mistakes. Yes, he's going to learn from this season. But I don't know. I, I feel like going through this will make him reevaluate some things. And for me, I thought it was honestly kind of cool. I hope his hand's not hurt too bad. But like to me, it just shows kind of how much he cares. What did you make of that whole situation post-game? Well, first of all, I'm going to say I'm pretty oblivious because uh... – I didn't see it. And as soon as you asked me, Coach, your hand going to be all right? I kind of like, what did you just ask? I was like, huh? And then I like look up. I lean up because I'm behind you and I see it. I was like, oh, that come. I was not really paying attention. And to be fair, you were in the back row though. Yes. And you were looking over people. Yeah, I kind of zoned out like the last five minutes of it because I was just kind of like mm, irritated. He was still mad. <clears throat> still frustrated. But for those who say that this is the reason he should not be a head coach, you can okay it's interesting I mean it just shows that he has he cares for it and he has passion for it and I know from the way he talks his mannerisms that he is a very fired up coach I mean if you don't think he cares look at what he does on the sideline he plays the best help defense in the American for a head coach I mean he's on the floor half the game so he cares I mean I think that this offseason we're going to see how much he really cares which is going to be even more because of the adjustments he's going to make because I think everyone in that's watching the program knows that the slate needs to be wiped clean and he needs to reset. And I think that seeing around the country with many other coaches that do not fare well in a couple of years, they kind of switch their whole mentality. And I think that we're going to see that personally. And if you think Schwartz doesn't care, you're wrong because he does because I see it about every day. All right, let's get our second break in. We'll come back. I have to address North Texas fans in my mentions. We'll talk about them. I'll talk about their lack of attendance despite a 16-game home winning streak, and we'll discuss that. We also got to talk about the, uh, the you know what this loss means for ECU's season. Does this mean things are going to go south quickly, as it has gone in past years around this time, or can this team turn it around? We'll discuss that. On the other side, this is Hoist the Colors on a Thursday. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Iko. Drink up me, Hardy Joe Ho. 194.3, the game. All right, welcome back into Hoist the Colors on this Thursday. Kaysen Romaley is with us, Philip Pilkington, producing as well. All right, we will get to those guys in a minute. I got to get something off my chest. North Texas fans, this is, you know, look, I, I don't, you guys know I don't have any problem taking shots at officials when they blow a call. Uh, we did so last night. I'm not even taking a shot, just pointing out the obvious. There was a missed call, right? Didn't necessarily, was not the reason ECU lost the game, but should have been called. North Texas fans, in my mentions, saying ECU, whiniest fans in America, all this sort of stuff about how great their basketball program is, laughing at ECU. I just want to take a moment to laugh at North Texas' fan base. 
North Texas has won 16 consecutive home games. They won 31 games last year. They made the NCAA tournament in 2021. They have won 20 or more games in five of the last six years. Great basketball program. You would think fans would want to show up for that. I mean, you look at the Dallas-Fort Worth metro area. North Texas is in Denton, Texas, which is part of that. That population, guys, is 7.6 million. Y'all want to know how many people showed up for North Texas's 16th consecutive home win? 3,310. They averaged less fans than East Carolina. They averaged less fans than a lot of teams in this league. At the Super Pit, great home court advantage. Clearly, when you win 16 in a row, got to give them credit. That's pretty impressive. Well, if you're such a great fan base, North Texas, how about you show up to your damn games? You tell them. How about you support your team? You tell them. Freaking joke, man. You tell them. Absolute joke. You tell them. Don't let them forget it. (laughs) They got me going, Casey. Don't let them forget it. Hey, it would (laughs) piss me off too, man. Don't worry about it. That's so funny. I just wanted to do uh, a Greenville, North Carolina population, guys, by the way. As of 2021, 88,728. Again, Dallas Metro, Fort Worth area, part of the Denton uh, population, which is Denton alone, higher population than Greenville, North Carolina. 7.6 million versus 88,000 here in Greenville. And guess which market is averaging more fans at a basketball game? Greenville, North Carolina. So get out of here. When we can't win, what do we use? Attendance smack. See, and we even have baseball that people like more here. They don't even have a darn baseball team. SMU doesn't have a darn baseball team. TCU is the only team in the area. So this is their last chance to go to a sporting event until football season. And because Cowboys ain't got no more games. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is. I mean, I love this. I love this right here. I love this right here. This is. This is. This is. This is what I got this job for. When Steve and I gets fired up, which is like twice a month, and <laughs> this is one of those times. This is one of those times. And look, I totally, I totally get it. But when you go back in this, there's eighty eight thousand people in Greenville. That's it. That's <laughs> according to Google. Uh, eighty eight thousand people as of twenty twenty one. I see eighty eight thousand uh, people on. Evan Street in like a five minute span going to Target. There's more people than 88,000 people. Well, hey, here's a weird thing with that that you got to think about. It's like population and our college kids counted towards because their Panther, their parents, excuse me, are still claiming them on taxes. They might technically count as their hometown population Uh, and not their, you know, like if you're still registered to vote in your hometown. So I don't know. That might be part of it. So, you know, it might be 100,000 just solely because, you know, we got 21,000 undergrad or whatever. By the way, North Texas enrollment, 40,796, yet only 3,000 people can show up to a game. Go to your game. I mean, what are y'all even doing? Are you too busy watching the Cowboys? By the way, the Cowboys playoff game was Sunday. The game against Temple was Saturday, so that's not an excuse. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear anything from North Texas fans ever. Get out of here. All right. Let's, can someone let's, please clip this? Someone please clip this and post it. We need to. I I can't wait. I think ZCU play at North Texas in football soon. I want to go out there and I want to hold up a sign that says you are the biggest frauds ever. Oh gosh. Uh, we have a, we have CB. our beat writer for 247 Sports sitting there in the press box in a working area press box with a sign. That'll be legendary. Sports Center, Steven Igo. Uh CBA 0125 says they don't even have any comments on their 24/7 message board. So yeah, they have a message board they don't even comment on. So, uh, 
Much like they don't even go to their their home basketball games. <sighs> Jimmy, anything else you want to get right. off your chest, big guy? <laughs> I, I think I'm good, although we got a long comment on Facebook from Charles Askew. He wants to get something off his chest. Let me read it real quick. He says, how many games do I have to watch where a ref puts his whistle in the pocket at the end of the game before something is done? Officials get paid to officiate for 40 minutes. Do your freaking job. This goes all the way back to when we played Georgia in December of 1997. We got a look at a game-winning shot. Hold on, my And the UGA defender mugged our guy. I can't remember if it was Blackwood or Meadows or Parham, but no foul called. The ref walks off the court and shrugs his shoulders. At the least, it was a shooting foul. Possibly could have been an intentional foul. I am so tired of getting the shaft in basketball. College basketball officiating is the equivalent of what is a catch in the NFL saga from a few years ago. No one knew what a catch was like five or six years ago. No one knows what a foul is in college basketball. I watch a lot of college basketball, and the difference from one game to the next is exponential. That being said, if we hit our free throws, this is not an issue. Don't leave it in the ref's hands. We know how that story ends. Charles, A-plus comment, son. Anytime you're bringing up 1997 basketball games, you are a, a, a grade A listener. You are the man. Thank you, Charles. Let me shake your hand sometime. Does anybody else want to rant about anything? This is an absolutely electric show. This show is absolutely electric. This is this is what I live for. This is what I wake up and look forward to doing. Uh, Philip, you got anything you want to rant? Because I, I get, can always rant about Well, something. I got my rant during the first uh, segment about the lack of five-second call and how late they started it. So as far as ECU know, if we have time, I want to rant about the Texas coach, but that's a segment four thing. Okay, then I'll go on my weekly rant about the net. Okay. <clears throat> Yesterday when I was reading the boards, people talking about, oh, the net, the net, the net, the net, the net, the net. There was this long post about the net on the board last night, and I'm just like, look, the net is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I was looking at it last night. Michigan State at 10-7 and 7 is ranked 20th in the net. NC State just beat Wake Forest. They moved up two spots in the net from 70 to 68. Wake Forest dropped from 43 to 46. You're telling me that there are 20 teams separating a team that a team just beat without making a single three-pointer and double bird in the ref. Hey, now that... Now that, we're, now that we're on that ref talk, and it wasn't talk yesterday, we couldn't talk about it yesterday on the show because there was no show. Do we want to discuss DJ Horn in putting his, putting, standing on business versus these NCAA refs with the double bird? Steven, your comments? I think Brandon Johnson should have done the same after getting shoved in the back. Unfortunately, he did not have enough time. Uh, but look, we know that Coach Schwartz punched something. I hope it wasn't a ref. I don't think it was. Uh, but, you know, it was just something has to be done, man. These guys just can't go for like – like there's no punishment. You blow a call that changes the course. You could potentially have changed the course of ECU season by not making that call. Yeah. I mean, and, and then these, these refs just get to go to their next game. Like there's no, there's no punishment. They don't have to answer any questions. They just walk off the court. Uh, you know, Charles mentioned shrugging the shoulders. That is exactly what one of the refs did last night. He walked by Schwartz. I don't know, man. I didn't call it. What am I supposed to do? I mean, what do you 
you're the ref. Do your job. Look, I got friends that are refs, and uh, they do a great job. All respect to them. Great respect to refs, except for the guys last night. Do your job. You know what? Can we? Uh, is there a way? Could you imagine if we got referees also with coaches to talk to after the game? It'd like be amazing. Press conference? Do you know how funny that'd be? That would be the funniest. Oh my lord, that would be awesome. That would be absolutely never electric. Do it. It'll never because happen, they would no. get they would get scrutinized. They do in the NFL. It's it's the best they do in any sport. They have like a pool. They have one reporter. That is the pool reporter. He is designated as the guy to go ask if there's a you know controversial call. He can go ask the head ref about it. So at least in the NFL, they do answer for it. I don't know about other professional leagues, but college, it's never been done. Do we garbage. think? Do we think Philip and the comments and Stephen? What do you think is worse, NFL officiating or men's NCAA officiating? Give me basketball all day because these guys can. 100% dictate how a game unfolds based on what they determine is a foul. But so can okay, correct. Yes, I understand that. But I think that in the NFL, the roughing the passer in PI is re- absolutely ridiculous. I think, well, everyone's on the roughing the passer thing. But also, then it goes to show is I also understand it because you don't want your $100 million guys in the NFL getting hurt, which I understand. But the PI stuff, I mean, come on. I mean, some of it's just so bad. And, and, and also, there's holding on every play in the NFL, whether it's the receivers yeah. or the offensive linemen. So, PI, illegal contact, all that stuff is a joke to me. No, it's a I, judgment call. I'm going, I'm going NFL refs are worse. And, and it, it didn't used to be this way. They've gotten worse in the last three or four years. And we were watching games on Sunday, and it was like every time a quarterback got hit, it's like, well, if that was Patty, that's rough on the passer. That was Patty, that's late hit on a, on a quarterback slide. Like, quarterbacks get treated differently depending on how long they've been in the league. You got referees, like, screwing up, like, de- pre- simultaneous to the snap penalties, like the Taylor Decker thing against the Cowboys a few weeks ago. Like, basketball, as someone who's officiated both, basketball's harder. You have a tenth of a second to call a foul in basketball. Football, you can be like, is he holding? Is he holding? Uh, yeah, he is. I mean, obviously, you don't want the flag really late, but then also like messing up simultaneous to the snap penalties. Like, look at who is it that always sends a guy in mo- the the uh, Dolphins? They always send a guy in motion, and the dude starts turning up the field and running towards the line of scrimmage, which is illegal motion every play, and they never call it. So yeah, no, the NFL officiating has gotten terrible. Uh, my grandma brought out an article to me the other day where it was like, now that betting has gotten more. Like legal, yes. the NFL officiating has gotten worse. There's been more missed calls, and she thinks it's got to do with like Vegas has an inside hand in the thing. Is what she was reading about. She's like, yeah, I could see it because NFL officiating used to not be this bad. And this is a woman who's attended NFL games for many years. Not like she just like casually watches. Like she's been to playoff games, been to you know all kinds of games. So she would know. College basketball officiating is still the worst. I don't care what y'all say. It is the absolute worst. They determine what happens from the first possession onward based on how they call it. Is, okay, so Steven, I mean, so Steven's on basketball. Phillip's on football. Okay, Steven, next question. College baseball, umpiring or NCAA basketball? Which, which is, college, which is no, worse? No. The, college, uh, the college strike zone is the absolute... <laughs> Worst in the world, so that that is one hundred percent 
after watching MLB for so long, I cannot watch a college baseball game on TV because the strike zone is horrendous. Yes. It's, it's horrendous. You know, you know, you know it's funny that, that's the funny thing about it because I was watching last night, I couldn't sleep, so I watched the Carolina Carolina ECU game at home last year when we were down. We scored, scored five runs, scored five or six runs in the bottom of the eighth inning, and just watching – uh, Carlson and your Savage, I mean, they were calling strikes at the belt. I mean, it was just like, I, I mean, nearly hitting the other player strike. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Six inches off the plate at the belt, below the, below the uh, knees. It's a joke. All right, we got to get a, a break in. Otherwise, we'll talk about this for hours. We'll come back. We will talk about the two-game road trip, how this loss changes ECU's season very briefly. Or does it? We'll discuss that. Hoist the colors on a Thursday. Here there be pirates. Back to hoist the colors with Stephen I go. How good is this? On 94.3, the game. All right, welcome back into hoist the colors. A few minutes left. Russ Walker on YouTube says, EC football does go to North Texas next year, and you should get a shirt that says fraud. So we are definitely doing this. We are, we are, Officially starting the ECU North Texas All Sports Rivalry today. Uh, Russ also says, are, "Are we on UCF side for once with this horns down?" We'll get into that. We don't have time today. We'll talk about that tomorrow. And then David Hackney says, "How about the strike zone in the Vanderbilt Super Regional? Terrible, worst I've ever seen. Absolute joke." Um, horns down. I want to say that we got about a minute left, Kason. So. I was hoping to expand more upon this, but, you know, we had other things come up. Or Texas fans, officials. This is a potentially season-defining loss. To me, a huge swing game. Can ECU recover from this, or is this kind of like the the downturn that is inevitable a lot of seasons? I think it is the downturn, but then again, in today's age of college basketball, anyone can be anyone. It doesn't matter who you are. Look around the country. Look at Horns Down last night. The the Black Knights of UCF get their first road win and versus a good Texas team, which appears they're not good, but Texas, Texas, and Horns down still. But I mean, if they can get one, they can get one road win. I'm not saying they can turn it around; it's just a step in the right direction. And also, anything can happen in conference tournaments, so don't ever count anyone out. Yeah, UAB, by the way, will be the game Saturday, three o'clock, and then Wichita State, where ECU did win last year. That'll be the game next Wednesday. So a two-game road stretch. I think if you get one case and you're feeling good, because then you come home and you face Temple and South Florida, two winnable home games. But losing two at home, man, and in the fashion you did, that's just it's tough to overcome. I agree. Just make sure that you can at least get one, come back here, beat up on a poor Temple team, and then another all right test in USF, and then you're three and one in your last four games. So hopefully we can turn around that way. There he is. Optimistic Kaysen is back. And uh, appreciate your time today, man. Appreciate you, Philip, as well. We have got to get out of here. Tomorrow, 12 noon, we'll have Joe Sampson join us. We will make our NFL playoff picks. Baker Mayfield to the Super Bowl. Zero shot. Uh, (laughs) they, They won their Super Bowl against the Eagles. We'll make our NFL playoff picks. I have to continue my climb back to number one. I'm two games behind Phillip with seven games left. We'll get into that and more and talk about horns down and what side we're on. This is Hoist the Colors. We'll see you tomorrow at 12 noon.
This has been Hoist the Collars with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 94.3thegame.com, on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow.